Well, hey, welcome. It's good to be with you this weekend. Hey, can we give it up one more time for the kids singing with us? So cool to have them up here uh, singing with us this weekend. Uh, it's good to be with you. We're a week out. Uh, anybody still got presents to buy? Anybody still got some shopping to do? That's not good, guys. This is not good. All right, you got, you got one week. All right, one week to get it done. And then, but before that, before you get to the presents, we're going to celebrate uh, together. Uh, as Don was mentioning, we got Friday, Saturday, eight services across all of our campuses, online, Pewaukee, and here in Waukesha. Um, we'd love for you to join us and just spend Christmas with us celebrating the birth of Jesus together. Uh, hey, if we haven't met before, my name is Garrett, and I get to serve as the director of Next Gen Ministries. And I just want to invite any uh, students, middle school or high school, 6th through 12th grade, uh, we have a huge event coming up. It is our annual RG Youth Winter Camp. We get away for the weekend. We go to Phantom Ranch in Maguanago. We hang out in cabins. We sled. We play broom ball. We eat good food. It's a good, good weekend. We would love to invite you there. Come hang out with us. Maybe you've been before. Maybe you've never been. I'm going to be hanging out in the lobby at our student wall after service. We'd just love to meet you, answer any questions you have, and help you uh, your family get connected. But this week, we are wrapping up our All is Well series. We've been kind of walking through the Christmas story alongside one of the most famous prayers, the serenity prayer. And every week before we kind of begin our time together, before we dive into the text of the person we're going to be unpacking, we just want to say this prayer together. So I want to invite you to just say this with me as we begin our time. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. We're going to be camping out in that last phrase there this weekend, the wisdom to know the difference. I want you to think of the wisest person that you know. Who's the wisest person that you know? And I want you to think of this, why? What makes them so wise? I took to Instagram to get a gauge of kind of what people thought, and here's some of the answers that I, that I found. Uh, someone said, my grandpa, he has experienced a lot. Another person said, my pastor, they are thought out and not impulsive. I'm pretty sure that person goes to River Glen. Um, another person said, my sister, they've been through a lot and have pursued wisdom at a young age when it wasn't the easy option. Another person said, my father, he has a good perspective on things. And someone said, my father, because he's been through more than anyone should have to and has learned from it instead of shutting down. When I think of wise people in my life, man, there are so many people who have poured into my life and, and, and me and my wife as it pertains to our, our lives, our, our marriage, our family, our, our careers. And I'm so grateful for these wise voices. I think of my grandparents on, on both mine and my wife's side. It seems like they always have godly encouragement and wisdom. It seems like they have a verse for everything. They could just in any moment, any situation, pull an encouraging scripture out and share that with us. And I'm so encouraged by that. But I think we all would like to be wise. I think that's something we love to people describe us as, oh yeah, they're so wise. They have so much wisdom, right? It's highly sought after. It's this thing held of, of high regard, right? That, that we would want and desire wisdom. We look through uh, the Bible and there are scriptures and books like Proverbs that are just dedicated to the topic of wisdom. We see people all over scripture asking for, seeking, or even sharing wisdom. 
And oftentimes when we think wisdom, we maybe pair that with knowledge, right? The things that we know, but they're a little bit different. Knowledge is kind of what we know and wisdom is how and when to use what we know. Wisdom is more situational. It's more contextual. It's less about knowing right versus wrong and rather knowing how to navigate life in the in-between, in the things unknown. See, you could be smart, and not that wise. Good news if you're like me, you have a shot at wisdom, even if you're pretty dumb, all right? That is encouragement for anyone like me. And today, right, wisdom I think is important, but I think we value knowledge a little bit more, right? Where in ancient times, wisdom was this thing of high regard, maybe a little bit more than knowledge. But today there's such an influx of obtainable knowledge, right? Everywhere you look. I mean, next year, as you're making your your New Year's resolutions, next year, just online, you could learn a new language. You could start a degree. I learned how to wrap my presents this year on TikTok. Like there's so many things out there that you can learn, knowledge that you can accumulate. I think we're driven by knowledge, right? Academia and degrees here in in, in our Western uh, civilization, that is what qualifies people. What makes someone important is how much knowledge they have. People are hungry. People are hungry for knowledge. There are 2.3 million Google searches per second. There goes another one. 2.3 million Google searches per second on average. There's so much out there. And in the ancient world, that wasn't necessarily the case. More things were being discovered rather than being studied. And so knowledge was important, but wisdom was the great mental achievement. This was so important. There was a hyper focus on wisdom. And wisdom is not just related to our minds, but our souls, right? Wisdom is, is not just rooted in what I've obtained, the knowledge that I have up here, but it's, it's rooted in my experiences, the things that I've been through, the, the situations that I've learned to navigate or how not to navigate, right? That is where wisdom is found. And so as it pertains to this series, here's the bad news. I don't have a Google search for how to get the wisdom to know the difference between, between the things you can control and things you can't. There's no Google search for that but, that, but that doesn't mean we don't search. It doesn't mean we don't pursue wisdom because wisdom is not our natural default. For being honest, I don't know about you, my natural default is foolishness, okay? Yours may be wisdom, good on you, but my natural default is foolishness. And so I need to pursue wisdom in every aspect of my life, in my career, in my marriage, in my materials, in how I work, how I rest, everything that I do, we need to pursue wisdom. And so I don't have a do this for 30 days and you'll be the wisest person in the room tip for you this weekend. However, I believe that the Christmas story invites us to look at some people who pursued wisdom, who sought after wisdom. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking through some of these characters involved in the birth of Jesus. We talked about Mary and the serenity that God granted her to endure motherhood. We talked about Joseph and the courage required to say yes to God for unexpected journeys and excitement. And this week, we are going to be hanging out with the wise men. 
Maybe you grew up like me with a nativity set. Anybody have a little nativity set around their house somewhere? We had two. We had two in my house. There was one that was nice, right? It was a super nice one. You weren't allowed to touch it. You couldn't go over. The only mom could like readjust everything. And, uh, and then we had like the plastic one that you could play with. You know what I mean? I kind of just thought there was like seasonal action figures that came out once a year. And it's like, sweet, we could play with, play with these ones. I, I actually recently, I came across a video of, of me playing with our nativity set when I was a kid. Check this out. Yeah. Who are they? Who are those guys? They wise guys? Yeah, wise man. Wise man? Yeah, this is a mean wise man. That's not the mean wise man. Who is that? Is that Joseph? Yeah, Joseph. What's Joseph's baby's name? A baby, baby Jesus. Oh, good job. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, I thought they were mean. I thought they were like the bad guys of the story. And I also think we should just bring that haircut back. I think that that should be in style again. I like the bowl cut look. I think we, we bring that back. But the question arises, right, when we talk about these guys, who are they? Who are they? Where did they come from? So we're going to be camping out in Matthew 2. And we're going to dive right in. Verse 1, it says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Traditionally, it's assumed that there are three wise men, probably pertaining to the gifts that they brought. But Scripture doesn't tell us. We don't know how many there were. It could have been like a whole squad of dudes. It could have been 10 guys traveling. It could have just been one guy carrying all these presents across the desert to go visit this baby, which that kind of ruins the song, right? The three kings, it ruins it if we don't actually know. But still, who are they? Where did they come from? It doesn't say. It just says the east. It says they're wise men from the east. East could be maybe Persia, maybe Babylon, but at the end of the day, scholars, most scholars just don't know. And the word that's used is wise men. That's the word that, that we have in this translation. So were they like kings? Were they kings from Babylon? Were they like priests from Persia? The original word that is used to describe them is the word magi. It's the word magi, and it's where we get our word magician. But they weren't like magicians that we think of, like pull a bunny out of your hat, like, hey, Jesus, pick a card, any card, like, thanks for inviting us to your birthday party. Like, that wasn't, that wasn't the kind of, of magician, right? They were, they were smart, intelligent men. They were astrologers, essentially, who studied the movement of stars, and they looked at cosmic forces and how they had influence on life and history, they were like theological scientists, but they were not limited to the God of the Bible. They were open. They were pagan astrologers is what these guys were. And I love that God includes them in his story, that God is not confined or limited by their pagan practices that do not pertain to him, but rather he would say, I want to use that. I want to actually introduce myself within their own practices, their own studies, the things that they have found. That's where I want to meet them and invite them in 
to the story of my son, Jesus. And so maybe you're here this weekend, maybe somebody dragged you here, maybe they convinced you there'd be a ton of donuts and that was it, and I'm here too, same reason. But like, that maybe you're wondering, could there be a place for me in God's great story? Is there really a place for me in this whole God, Jesus thing? Is there a place for me, is there a part for me to play in the church? And I believe that the story of the birth of Jesus tells us that there is a seat at the table for you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, no matter what brought you here this weekend, there is a place for you. And that is the good news of not just the Christmas story or the Gospels, but the Bible in its entirety is that God would see us and invite us in. We say all the time here that we are a come-as-you-are church, that you belong before you believe. And that's not original to River Glen. That's from this guy. That's from Jesus. That's from God himself. There is a place for you, and God is going to use any means necessary to get your attention. It's how he got the wise men's attention to go on this unexpected journey. So our story continues in Matthew 2, verse 3. It says this, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. The word that's used there to describe Herod is the word troubled. Herod is troubled. The Greek word there is the word tarasso, tarasso. Here it is, tarasso, which means to agitate, to cause inward commotion, to perplex the mind by suggesting doubts. And Herod has this feeling that something is happening that he doesn't like. Obi-Wan Kenobi would probably say he's felt a disturbance in the force. There's something going on. Here. It's important to note that Matthew, the writer of this gospel, he only uses this word tarasso two times throughout his gospel. He uses it here at the birth of, of Jesus when Herod is feeling troubled, and he uses it in Matthew 14 when the disciples are in a boat on the water and they see Jesus walking towards them on the waves, and they are terrified, troubled, tarasso. And we see them respond in a different way than we see Herod. They have this feeling of trouble and there's a threat. For the disciples, it was a threat to everything they believed about God. And it was an invitation to follow him and discover more about this God. But for Herod, it was a threat to everything he believed about himself. It was a threat to his kingdom. It was a threat to his crown. It was a threat to his power. And so this command to the wise men, hey, go find this baby. Let me know where he is. It's not rooted in this deep desire to go and worship Jesus. 
but rather fear is driving him to take matters into his own hands so that nothing would come between him and his kingdom. So I want to ask you this weekend, where in your life have you been letting fear lead you rather than faith? Where have we allowed fear to to create a threat within us and lead us rather than stepping out in faith? I've heard it said that fear is faith in the wrong what if. Well, what if this happens? What if this changes me into something I don't want to be? What if this changes things about my life? What if this isn't what I want rather than what if God has the best for me? What if God's plans are greater? What if God is who he truly says he is? There's an invitation for us this season as we wind down the year and step in to another one to step out in faith. Faith in our families, faith in our finances, faith in how we trust God after situations or going into situations. I believe God is inviting us to step out in faith rather than to be led by fear. And these wise men, they have this sense of faith In what, I'm not really sure. Maybe the star, this faith and what they've studied and and, and this knowledge. And so they continue. They continue on this journey and they leave from the palace. And continuing in verse 9, it says this. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So they got a lot of trust in this star to get them where they need to go so that they can deliver these gifts. And there's no Amazon Prime. There's no two-day shipping. Let's get the gold and Frank's. Let's just send it, and we'll get it delivered to the porch of Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Right? That wasn't an option. So these guys are putting their faith that it's going to lead them to the right place, the right house, with the right child, Right? Last year for Christmas, I, man, I was on top of it with gifts, okay? For my wife, I had everything planned. I got all the gifts, check them off. And we were going to be spending Christmas in Tennessee. And so me, being so wise, I sent all of the gifts there. I had them shipped to Tennessee. My mother-in-law could wrap them for me, put them under the tree. I don't have to worry about a thing. It's so easy. It's done. All the gifts ready there. Someone in the family ended up getting sick, and we ended up spending Christmas here, which was great. No, it was a great Christmas. The only issue is my wife's presents are 10 hours away. And so that week leading up to it, I'm like, I got to go buy something. So I'm like running around. I think I may have like wrapped some things that she already owned. Like at that point, I was just like, maybe she'll forget she has this sweater. You know, like, hey, what? Oh, that's so, you know, like, man, I was so close. I was on it. I had the right gifts, the right place. And then it was the wrong place. And these wise men, they're putting their faith in this star to lead them to the right house with the right child, the right family, so that they can give him these gifts. And you know the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the three famous gifts of the wise men, which just for a second, if I'm Jesus, who's probably a toddler at this point, 
These are terrible gifts, okay? I have no interest in myrrh, okay? Like, that's not on my Christmas. I did not send that to Santa. Like, where are the toys? Where's the video games? Like, wise men, seriously, read the room, okay? He's a kid. Like, he, what's he going to do with a bar of gold, you know? Like, that's not, that's not what he wants, you know? But these were not normal gifts. These are not gifts that you would normally give at a birthday party or a baby shower. These were gifts of royalty, they had meaning. These were gifts for an honorable person. And they're going to kneel down and gift them to a baby. And I love that God uses these gifts because they point us to not only who Jesus was, but who he would become. Gold was a sign of Jesus as king. Jesus as king, that he would be not just this baby, but that he would be ruler and not to mention Mary and Joseph are going to have to leave Bethlehem. They're going to have to flee because of a threat from Herod. They're going to have to find refuge and safety and hide out for a couple years. And this gold is going to be what funds their livelihood for the next couple years. Then they give him frankincense, which is a sign of Jesus as the high priest. Jesus is, is the mediator. That's the high priest, right? The, this frankincense, it was this fragrance that was used by high priests in worship places. And Jesus serves as the great high priest, being the mediator between us and God, giving you and me access and relationship to the Father. And then they gave him myrrh, which is a sign of Jesus as a crucified and risen Savior. Myrrh was this embalming oil that was used to prepare bodies for burial to point us to the fact that this child that lay in a manger would one day lay in a tomb meant for you and me that he was not just a baby born in a forgotten town, but he was a savior that came on a mission. And he would die a death that he did not deserve, but he would rise three days later giving you and me hope and restoration, putting death to death forever. From the very beginning, God is showing us who his son Jesus was and who he would become, not just for the wise men thousands of years ago, but for you and for me today. And it makes me wonder. I wonder if they left feeling like they got a greater gift than what they gave. I wonder if they left, the load may have been easier to carry on their journey back home, but maybe they're leaving with something a little bit more powerful, a little bit greater after this visit with the king, with the savior of the world. I wish I could ask them to quote Alistair Begg. He says, we know you arrived in Bethlehem with the treasures of earth in your hands. But what I want to know is whether you left Bethlehem with the treasure of heaven in your heart. Everything changed when these men met the boy called Jesus. And in verse 12, it tells us that in a dream, they're led and told, given direction, given wisdom, to go a different way, to not go back to Herod. And this wisdom, this sign, this direction, it did not come, thing, come from something of their own study. It did not come from, from something that they acquired their own knowledge like the star, but it came from above. This direction came from God. We see all throughout the Christmas story that God is sending angels, that he's sending messengers, that he's using dreams to guide and direct and help people. We see angels show up to Mary to her brother-in-law, Zechariah, 
to the shepherds in the field, we see Joseph receive word in a dream. And then we see it in the wise men. All of these people, all of these characters who had a visit and got direction from above, they encountered that wisdom. They encountered those angels before they met Jesus. It's what led them to Jesus. Everyone, that's their story, except for the wise men. Here's what I'm getting at. God used the wise men's own pagan practices to get them to his son, Jesus. But the moment they fall down before him and give him their gifts and declare him as king, God shows up and says, now I will be your wisdom. Now I will be your guide. Now I will be the one to give you direction. Not the star, not the things that you have discovered. I can use that. I can use all things. But now I want to be your voice. I want to be your guide. The wisdom from above. The wisdom to know the difference between Herod and Jesus. The wisdom to know what they can control. It began when Jesus became their king. This is the moment that they actually become the wise men. So you want wisdom? Let's go back. You want serenity? To accept the things that you cannot change? Do you want courage to change the things you can? You want wisdom to know the difference between them? Here's the question I have for you. Who is at the center of your life? That's it. Who is at the center of your life? That is where we will find wisdom. Once we have answered that question and made Jesus the center of our lives. And I fear that many of us, our relationship with Jesus is similar to this present, right? We view Jesus like different pieces of this present. I did not wrap this myself, okay? But we view Jesus, maybe for some of us, as the bow. He's the bow. We live our lives, we do whatever we want, and we sprinkle a little Jesus on top. Here's a little verse here and there, maybe a little church. Like, it's just this little thing. It, it, it's have no control over our lives. Just, yeah, a little Jesus. I got a little Jesus. And that's fine, if that's you. Many of us, I believe most Christians fall into the category of, we make Jesus like the wrapping paper or the box. It's not the thing, but he's a very main part. He makes our lives look good. He makes us look pretty and shiny, and it's nice, right? It makes everything look nice, and he covers us. And that's good, right? We view Jesus in this scenario just as the savior of us, right? He's our savior who died on the cross for our sins. And that's true. Don't get me wrong. That is true. That is the message of the gospel. But we like him as Savior, but we don't really like him as Lord. We like him to be Savior who died on the cross and saved us, but we don't really want anything to change within us. We don't really want him to direct our lives or lead us. And that's where the third and final invitation comes from, is that would we make Jesus not just this exterior thing that we sometimes partake in, but rather would we make him the gift? Would we make him the thing? Would Jesus be the center of our lives, the focal point that everything else revolves around, that I'm, gonna, I'm not going to move unless it's directed by God, that my wisdom is going to come from him, that he he is transforming, not from the outside within, but from the inside out. Do we let him lead us? Are we letting him be the center of our lives? Do we spend time with him? Do we pray to him? Do we consider whatsoever, 
what God would have to say about my life? Do I consider what God has to say about my finances, about my relationships? Do I consider what he has to say about these big decisions that I wanna make for me and for my family? Do I care what he says about my work or how I rest, how I live? The invitation, not just for the wise men, but for you and me, is that we would make Jesus the center of our lives. I'd like to believe that these wise men, they left Jesus and immediately they turned away from their pagan practices. But I don't know. I'd like to believe that Jesus at the center of their lives changed how they lived, how they loved, how they served, and how they spoke. I'd like to believe that for the rest of their lives, they were keeping tabs on this growing boy named Jesus until their death or maybe until his. I'd like to believe that when they got home, they told everybody on their street and revival hit their town, that they told all their friends and invited them in to come and see, but we don't know. They're never mentioned again. We don't read about the wise men again, so I can't ask them. So I'll ask you, who's at the center of your life? Who is at the center? Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord, what does that mean? I'm supposed to be afraid of God? That God's this big scary person or thing in the clouds? No, that's not what he's getting at. This idea of fear is referring to this reverence for God. And it's a different kind of fear than what Herod had. Herod had reverence for himself. This kind of fear is a reverence for God, an understanding of just how powerful and how strong and how mighty and how loving and how good this God is, knowing that at any moment, he could do whatever he wants with me. Knowing that I don't deserve the breath in my lungs let alone the presence under the tree. But it, it, it is in his kindness. It is in his mercy, in his goodness, in his love that I freely get to live and worship him. And that is the invitation to bow down and worship him, to fall before this great, powerful God as king and ruler and center of my life. To fear God is to declare him as the center of it all. We see Jesus face to face when we fall on our knees. The doorway to heaven, it is low and it is humble and it is reverence for Jesus as king. And friends, this, I believe this is where wisdom is found. This is the beginning of living a life of wisdom directed by God, rooted in the ways of Jesus. And oftentimes, godly wisdom looks like foolishness. Godly wisdom sometimes looks like worldly foolishness. I mean, for these wise men to bow down before a baby would have seemed silly it would have looked foolish. I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me. It is a lot easier for me to worship Jesus, the man who performed miracles, who healed the sick, 
who told stories, who died on the cross. It's a little bit easier for you to worship Jesus, the man, but it's important that we remember that he was a baby, that the savior of the world, that the king of kings and lord of lords was a baby. He was an innocent infant, this seven pound, 11 ounces, 21 inches long baby. He was a small child. And these wise men, they fall to their knees. These magi have this foolish act. And it's there that wisdom begins. You want to have wisdom to navigate the things in your life, the unknown, the difficulties, the things that are ahead in the new year? This begins when we make Jesus the center of our lives. And with that grow in us, a love, a reverence for Jesus as King and a deep desire to not withhold this gift, but rather pass it on, inviting others to come and see that at the end, through it all, all is truly well. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, we are, God, we're blown away, honestly, by the, by the way in which you would choose to save the world. God, it seems illogical. It seems silly. It seems like maybe there was a better way, but God, this is how you chose to send your son. These are the people that you chose. God, I pray that in this moment, that we would not just see this as a story to read and understand, but we would see this as a story that you invite us into as well. That we would ask you, God, what part would you have us play? How would you like to use us? How can we be a part of your great plan of redemption and restoration to the world? God, would we in this moment take an inventory of the things in our life would you, would, you, would you develop within us an awareness of the things that we have put before you, the things that we have made gods, the things that we have bowed down to? God, in this moment, would we just put them aside? Would we fall before you as King and ruler and Lord and Savior and center of our lives? And God, this is where we find wisdom. This is where we receive your wisdom. And so God, it is in your, your, your mighty and loving name that I ask for each and every one of us for serenity to accept the things we cannot change. God, give us courage to change the things we can. And God, would you grant us a wisdom to know the difference? We love you and it is in your name we pray. Amen.